0: hello my friends my allies my comrades and arms welcome back to the wolf's gaming podcast the podcast with the most wildly inconsistent release schedule known to man it's me Baden ronnie your host the man who ain't afraid and no ghost and today is gonna be a very sony heavy centric episode sony's been in the news a lot obviously due to the showcase but also due to some controversies and a whole bunch of other stuff that we need to talk about so yes we will be going Across the entire showcase, we will be talking about the new heatsink in the PlayStation Five and the controversy surrounding that, and trying to break it down. We're going to be talking a little bit about the Epic versus Apple legal battle, which has finally come to an end, at least for now. And we're going to be talking about a whole bunch of other random stuff as well. So, without further doos let's jump into this, and we're just going to start, I think, nice and slow with what I've been up to, and that's absolutely nothing. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I've been having a bit of a slump the last few weeks, I've been lacking motivation to start any new games, it's not necessarily that I don't want to play games, it's just I can't get the, the, the drive I need to click the play button on a new game, the thought of starting something right now just doesn't feel all that enticing so I've been heavily just playing Magic the Gathering Arena which I mentioned last time and uh, I'm probably heavily addicted to that game. I have an obsessive personality and that comes out quite a lot in anything involving trading cards and collectibles and stuff like that, uh, so <laughs> I'm really having to watch how much I'm spending on this game because it'd be so easy to spend far too much money. But I'm really enjoying it, I still love the, the element of building a deck. I'm finding it a nice change from Yu-Gi-Oh which I got back into recently because in Yu-Gi-Oh the way the cards are built now it feels like having a randomised deck doesn't really matter too much in the game now. Because there's so many cards and so many things you can do to fetch the things you want exactly from your deck. Or to special summon monsters you want straight from your deck. So in a lot of ways having that random element feels kind of pointless. You can just get whatever you want almost whenever you want. Whereas in Magic that random element still matters. You can only have you know four copies of cards. And there's very few ways to get something specific. You know The only way you can find a card you want specifically is usually to cycle through your deck. And even that's not hugely overpowered like it can be in Yu-Gi-Oh's at times. So yeah, I'm enjoying building decks, playing around. Um, I'm playing ranked a lot right now, but I have found I've gotten to the point I'm in um, Platinum rank, and I've found I've gotten to the point now where it's all about the meta game really, and these these very specific deck designs. And uh, while I'm not adverse to studying the meta at least a little, I don't want to just make the meta decks or make counter meta decks so it seems like right now, at least, platinum sort of where I naturally end up, where I can still just about get away with experimental, mess about decks and daft decks and just chasing themes and stuff like that. Like right now, I'm running a deck that's all about just swarming everything with skeletons, and uh, I can't find a way to make it consistently win. So I'm just sort of you know bouncing around that low tier of platinum and still having a good time. So yeah, I've been having a lot of fun for that. But there are a couple games in now that should get me back into gaming. The first is I've got review code for the new Pathfinder uh, game, which I believe is called Wrath of the Righteous. And that is a CRPG based on the Pathfinder license. Uh, I've only played like an hour or two. It's a daunting, (laughs) it's a very daunting game. I haven't gotten to a boss fight yet, but I feel like I've already been through a boss fight and that boss fight was the character creation screen. That shit is mental. There's something I think in the region of like 25 different classes you can pick from and they have subclasses. You can pick your species, your background, skills, uh, spells, you name it. It's a baffling character creation system. And hats off to the developers because everything has explanations. But I feel like as a new player, I should have gone with one of the pre-made classes. And I'm saying that because as I was going through the character creation screen, I didn't have the correct context for what anything does or how it actually plays out in the real game itself Uh, so i've made a whole bunch of decisions and i just don't think they're probably going to coalesce properly in the game itself so i maybe should have gone with a pre-made i'm thinking yeah if you're a new player and you're interested in buying this game i think i would probably recommend go pre-made and then you can either quit after a few hours and remake a character or do a fully custom character for a second playthrough I think that might be a cool choice when you really understand everything that's going on, because there is a lot going on on this game from what I can see. Uh, but I'm looking forward to exploring it all and seeing just how deep it will let me go into stuff. This looks like it could be a great game. Uh, it's supposedly really big too, so I don't know what I'm gonna do for a review. If it's like you know 50, 60, 70, 80 hours long, then I might have to try and do like a I don't know a review in progress or uh, something like that that does the job and of course talk about it a bit on this podcast and uh, the other game of course is Deathloop my copy arrived this morning because uh, Sony still don't talk to me although I'm not sure technically who would have got in touch with us for this one because obviously it's published by Bethesda and therefore Xbox uh, sorry I mean Microsoft so I'm not sure who I really would have needed to talk to about it but apparently a lot of review outlets have had this for weeks uh, so hey what, what's going on guys give me give me some credit over here people come on i'm like the greatest reviewer in the business everybody knows that anyway this game has been getting glowing reviews i logged on to n4g the other day when it first came out and well sorry when the reviews first started popping up and it was just 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 10 out of 10 9 out of 10 10 out of 10 8 out of 10 10 out of 10 5 out of 5 4 out of 5 you know really high scores for this game i'm looking forward to starting this up immensely because i love arcane's work I think they are an extremely underrated developer. And I think, I think, possibly the best get for Microsoft when they did the Bethesda deal. You know, you've got all those big guys, obviously, but I think Arcane were the hidden gem in there. It's just, I've never quite understood though why their games don't quite seem to sell as much as I think they should. Um, Maybe I'm just completely overestimating something maybe they just don't speak to people right in the trailers I don't know but Dishonored, Dishonored 2 Prey you know, they, none of them sold great Dishonored 2 sold fairly low and it's put the idea of a sequel it seems on the back burner Prey didn't do all that great but they're fantastic games I mean terrific games so yeah I'm hoping Deathloop might be the breakout game uh, especially because it's on the Sony machine the PS5, that might sound weird but you know they could gain themselves a lot of extra street cred by releasing on the PlayStation first and getting word of mouth out there and obviously next year it's a time exclusive so it'll hit game pass and uh, it'll get sort of a second wind but yeah I'm really looking forward to firing this one up I also uh, briefly wanted to talk about wrestling I am a fallen out of love wrestling fan I used to watch a lot of wrestling back in the day when I was a kid, specifically WCW was my thing. We're talking the days of Sting, Goldberg, Hollywood Hogan and that sort of thing. Bret Hart, obviously. Those were great days, I had a lot of fun. I had a more tumultuous relationship with WWE, partially because my family just didn't have cable. It's not something we really ever thought was worth the money and I was never going to pay for cable or anything like that, purely for like one wrestling show. So, I've been on and off with WWE over the years. I pretty much fell out of love, though, for the last, like, decade. I haven't bought a pay-per-view since I was probably a teenager. You know, things have got me back in when Edge returned a few years back. That was a huge moment for me because Edge was and is one of my favorite wrestlers and seen back in a ring, not only back in a ring, but putting on great matches and delivering stunning promos. That helped me get back into it a bit, but unfortunately, the rest of WWE as a whole put me back off of wrestling uh you know three hour long wrestling show in the form of wwe raw is just ridiculous i never want to sit down for three hours to watch wrestling and then you have got smackdown which is another two hours it was just so much show and yet nothing very much in there that i wanted to see which is a shame because they have amazing talent but i have properly gotten back into wrestling now thanks to aew uh, the big thing here obviously was CM Punk returned to wrestling after seven years another one of my favorite wrestlers uh, so I wanted to watch the pay-per-view I ordered a pay-per-view for the first time and again that's got to be over a decade 15 years something like that watch it from start to finish and I had a great freaking time you know CM Punk it was fantastic seeing back in a ring. Uh, it was a really solid match he put on against Darby Allin, a dude who I'm looking forward to seeing more of. That guy is fantastic. Uh, it was great to see Brian Danielson there. It was great to see uh, Adam Cole because even though I'm not actively watching a lot of wrestling, I do watch the clips and stuff of NXT and WWE on YouTube. So I know who these people are. I know how good they are. Daniel Bryan is amazing. You know, Adam Cole, fantastic. Great to see them in AEW. Uh, so I've been enjoying it so much that I've bought a subscription to AEW on fight which I think is just like a few quid a month and it lets you watch the, uh, the regular TV episodes of AEW uh, so I've been watching it, I've actually been following it week to week and I'm having a great time it seems like a place where they're really just letting the wrestlers do their own stuff material wise in terms of speaking and coming out with cool promos lots of freedom during matches and stuff and it's letting personalities come through a lot my only potential issue with aew right now is i worry they've taken on too much talent too fast they have a massive roster like filled with amazing talent in there you've got guys like uh, luchasaurus the lucha brothers jungle boy darby allen cm punk brian danielson uh, christian cage Kenny Omega, The Young Bucks, Host whole John Moxley. You've got all these amazing guys, and I worry that there's just not enough time to showcase them all and give them all things to do and storylines. You know, you can only focus on so many a week, even if you have two shows. So are, you, are they going to have time to give everybody you know, TV time? That's why a lot of people left WWE, was they just didn't have anything to do and could aew head that way a little bit maybe they should slow down their acquisitions just a little bit and uh, try and make sure they've got time to showcase everyone and give them their due apart from that I'm, I'm just having such a blast with aew it's great to be back into wrestling uh the pay-per-view matches the lucha brothers versus the young bucks and a cage match was awesome that was a brutal fun match Uh, I really loved Eddie Kingston versus Miro. Miro's character right now is fucking awesome. And Eddie Kingston redeemed these nuts. Ah, that was brilliant. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really loving this right now. So I just wanted to mention that. I don't bring up wrestling very often. But yeah, AEW, you guys are killing it right now. Keep it going. Right, a couple of shout outs I wanted to do as well before we get going. Uh, Specifically one shout out. uh, Something I think you guys should maybe listen to. So this was over at the Sacred Symbols podcast, which of course is run by Colin Moriarty of uh, previous IGN fame. In this case, specifically, he interviewed Philip Mewson. If you don't know who that was, he was fired from IGN a couple years back for plagiarism. It turned out a lot of his video and written work had been plagiarized. It was a huge story a few years back. Uh, inter- In this interview, Colin got to sit down with him for, I think it was like an hour and a half, two hours and just tried to find out why this happened, who Philip Mewson is, how he got to IGN, why he plagiarized, you know, all that stuff. Uh, Con does a really good job of guiding the interview instead of just forcing his way in there. He asks pointed questions where they're needed, uh, but he shuts up when Philip is talking. He lets Philip take the lead wherever possible. So really good interview. And Philip Mewson, to his credit, whether you like him or not, did seem willing to talk and lay everything out in the light. Whether he's being truthful, whether he means any of it, whether he understands what he did was wrong, it's still all up for debate. There was a couple of things in the interview that bothered me, like he claimed at the time he didn't really know what plagiarism was, which I find that hard to believe, because surely, you know, you would have learned that in school. If only because you probably accidentally plagiarized something and a teacher gave you in trouble and went, Oi, this is clearly not you. Uh... But anyway, whatever, it's a fascinating, fascinating interview to watch. And I think it very much presents the thing of for companies like IGN, if you're going to bring in somebody and have them do journalism, if they don't have much of a history of writing, which Philip Mewson didn't, he'd only been doing stuff for a year or two. And if they haven't gone to any journalistic courses or classes or gotten a degree or anything like that in writing or journalism, that's dangerous when you're trying to get them to do journalistic work. I mean, I try to make it very clear. I'm not a journalist, I write reviews and i do new stuff roundups like this but that that's it i'm trying not to do journalistic pieces and if i ever do i'm gonna try and be careful as i can but i would have to consider going and at least taking some basic classes in journalism uh, but anyway i want you to go check out that entire podcast it's really worth a listen uh, there's a video on youtube as well where you can watch him and that way you can get a read on philip muson who provides a lot of background on himself and why he did these things If you take everything he says truthfully, then it paints a picture of someone who very quickly got into something, very quickly went from nothing to doing quite well on YouTube to someone who then went very quickly from doing okay on YouTube to being hired by IGN, you know, the biggest gaming site in the world, and then someone who very quickly crumbled under that pressure because he didn't know what he was doing, to be honest. He was trying to meet deadlines and act like, of course, I can meet deadlines and ended up plagiarizing things to try and get through that and yeah it just feels like someone who was thrown into the deep end didn't know how to swim and drowned all right on to the first big bit of news of the week and it's some boring legal stuff let's talk about apple versus epic the long running legal battle which has finally ended or at least for now who knows what <laughs> might happen after all this Of course, this whole escapade began way back when Epic decided they didn't like Apple's 30% cut of everything sold on the Apple Store. Epic then launched a long planned campaign they called Project Liberty, where they deliberately broke their contract with Apple in a bid to incite legal action. That is of course what happened. Over the course of this battle has been accusations from left, right, center, up, down, backwards, you name it, Epic have accused Apple of running a monopoly and have indeed been attempting to prove that. Apple accused Epic of breaking their contract maliciously. Epic didn't just, just think get the back to too fair. Epic believed they should be allowed to sell their stuff on iOS without any fees, despite its own Epic store charging 12% fees. It's It's been a mess. It's been two massive juggernaut companies going at each other. And uh, honestly, I think as a person here, you just shouldn't side with either of them. Neither of them were fighting for the people. Now the court though has finally delivered its judgment and there seems to be a lot of confusion over what it all means and that's not being helped by sites like Kotaku and PC Gamer putting up blatantly false headlines such as quote Epic wins Fortnite app store lawsuit unquote. Well that's just not true. The truth is Epic actually lost 9 out of the 10 counts. The The judge mostly sided with Apple on everything but one count so no epic did not win uh, apple won mostly with one caveat which is what we're gonna get to now the judge delivered this verdict in a whopping 185 pages that and i don't mean to sound rude here did waffle on quite a bit from what i can tell but anyway within those pages she did make it quite clear she doesn't like a lot of apple's practices on a personal level She also made it clear she wasn't happy with Epic either, deliberately breaching their contract. And I have to admit that on a personal level, I have found Epic's handling of this whole thing pretty disgusting. It came down to the fact that Epic planned months ahead of breaking the contract to do this. They contacted companies like Sony and Microsoft to say that, hey, we're going to do this to Apple. But don't worry, we're not going to come and do the same thing to you guys, which... I'm sure if I was Sony or Microsoft, I wouldn't believe one bit. But they also then launched a huge marketing campaign when they did it. They tried to get kids on their side uh, by saying, you know, hey, Apple's taking away your Fortnite. And they're doing it bad. And Epic tried to paint themselves as heroes who were fighting on the side of the small developers, uh, which is bullshit. They were fighting for a shit ton of money. Any benefit to developers would have been purely incidental anyway here's the gist of the rulings for more detailed breakdown i suggest you go and listen to virtual legality where richard ho goes over all the legal mumbo jumbo black magic stuff that i am entirely ignorant of i'm just taking the basics here and trying to deliver it to you in a reasonably concise manner so you know the core things of what happens so first in terms of being a monopoly apple claimed they were part of the broader gaming market as in Pretty much everything gaming related, whereas Epic attempted to argue that Apple were a monopoly specifically within the iOS sphere. Now, the court deemed that Apple does not have a monopoly in its respective market, deciding that Apple's respective market is digital mobile gaming transactions. Now, this is important because if the judge had ruled against Apple here, then the walled garden style store Apple runs, which is where they have complete control of what's on there, would crumble. And that would open up a whole can of worms for companies like sony and microsoft and nintendo who all own and operate walled gardens on their respective consoles you fire up your playstation or your microsoft console or your nintendo console and what you'll see when you go into the store is it's their store you don't get game you, you know you can't install other stores on there and anything that's put on the store is solely by their permission had the judge ruled on epic side for this one then that means their walled gardens may have also fallen that means you know playstation would have to allow the microsoft store on there and the epic store it would become a really messy situation and uh, it would hurt a lot of people um and part of me wouldn't be surprised if the judge wanted to rule in favor of apple purely to have to avoid that massive massive can of worms just Blowing open and spraying worms everywhere. They also ruled that Apple do not have to change their 30% commission fee. Although the judge did comment that that rate felt inflated, which it probably is. Um, From what anyone can tell, the 30% number is fairly arbitrary. They probably could drop that down. Um, By contrast, Epic themselves on their own Epic store run a, I believe it's a 12% fee which is interesting in its own right uh, because it's been proven so far that the 12% fee isn't making Epic profitable it's going to be a couple more years projected until the Epic store actually is profitable so in other words one could very much view it as the 12% is a simple market undercut to get themselves very positive PR and to get developers on their sides and stuff like that and I want to be clear here I'm actually in favor of reducing those commission fees uh, I think more money going to the developers is great. I think you want to help grow developers by giving them more of their money back. You know, you want them to get a good chunk because then those developers will turn around they'll make more games that go on your store. You know, you want it to be that recurring system. It should be a symbiotic relationship between store and developers. Now, the single point in which the judge ruled in favor of Epic was regarding anti-steering. So after 90 days, Apple will now have to allow developers to direct users towards third-party payment systems, rather than requiring them to only use Apple's own personal payment processing system. Now again, this is what a lot of the sites are claiming is Epic's big win, except it really isn't. You see, under the Apple terms and conditions, they would still receive a 30% cut on those transactions, even if they are made using third-party processors. That's because the game or app was still purchased inside of Apple's store. So to avoid that, developers would have to find a way to have the customers buy the game or the app outside of the Apple store as well, but also get it installed on the Apple phone. It becomes a whole complicated mess. So in short, yes, Apple now have to allow third-party payment systems. But from what I can tell so far, with my very limited legal knowledge, that's not going to mean very much. The only thing it's going to do is make it harder for Apple to track their 30% of everything since it's not going straight through their own system. A final big point, which is a reasonably major blow against Epic, was that Epic were found to be in breach of contract. And in regards to its months-long Project Liberty plan, the judge said, quote, Epic Games never adequately explained its rush to the courthouse or the actual need for clandestine tactics. End quote. That's entirely true. Uh, Epic could have simply sued Apple while still being on the store. That would have been perfectly allowable. Or Apple could have simply ended their contract, taken the, get their stuff off of the store, and then sued Apple. Instead, what Epic du- did was hide an update inside Fortnite, sneak it through Apple, And that update allowed the Epic direct payment system within the game, which was against Apple's terms and conditions. And so, Apple took Fortnite off the store. The judges found that Epic were indeed in breach of contract. And therefore, the judge has ruled that Apple is entitled to relief for this breach of contract. That breaks down to 30% of the $12,167,719 in revenue that epic took using its epic direct payment method you can work out that 30 percent yourself but let's see that's probably what ooh half of that's about six mil half the item is about three so what, around the four million mark or something like that i think epic will have to pay apple that's just some very quick crappy maths the judge also ruled that there will be a declaration made that apple and epic's agreement was lawful and enforceable and that apple maintains the right and that Apple maintains the right to sever its agreement with Epic whenever it likes. Or in other words, Apple do not have to allow Fortnite back onto its store, or allow Epic or any of its subsidiaries back onto the store either. And that also means Apple can terminate any and all Epic accounts, including those related to servicing the Unreal Engine, which Apple was previously stopped from doing due to a preliminary injunction. That's the general gist of everything you need to know. If you want to know more, go ahead, read that 185 pages. Uh, probably get yourself a drink, some cookies, and a nice comfy chair for that one. Or go listen to Hogue Law. Like I said, he'll do a great job of breaking it all down. So, personally, again, I did not like the way Epic handled themselves in any of this, attempting to portray themselves of the heroes fighting for justice. Tim Sweeney of Epic himself has tweeted out that Quote, today's ruling isn't a win for developers or for consumers. Epic is fighting for fair competition among in-app payment methods and app stores for a billion consumers, end quote. No, you were just fighting to get that $12 million for yourself without needing to pay any fees. Had Epic just fought to say the fees were being inflated and if they'd taken the Apple to court properly without breaching the contract, I would have found the whole thing much more palatable. But attempting to get kids on your side in a legal battle between billion pound companies and shit like this is just despicable but I'm not signing with Apple either they want to make money they're good at it but legally they were in the clear which I find fair enough Uh, even if I do like the judge have a lot of problems against how they do their things but I also do personally believe that it's their phone their operating system and their store and therefore they can mostly do what they like within it they can say who gets on there and who doesn't and what the fees are And it's up to the other companies to decide if they agree to those terms and conditions. To me, it'd be like running a store in your local town and being forced to allow every brand on the shelves. Maybe that's just me, but I don't think that works. You know, If I built my own platform and my own operating system and my own store, then I would feel like I should have control over who gets in there and how I get to do the terms and conditions and how much I charge. And then it's up to everyone else if they want to agree to all that. Alright, moving on from legal controversy, let's go to PlayStation 5 controversy. So, a big controversy kicked off the other week about the new model of PS5 which has been hitting the store shelves. This new console has an improved stand with a, a new screw. How exciting. But it's also 300 grams lighter, which naturally made people wonder where Sony had managed to get rid of 300 grams. So, Austin Evans, who is a big name in the YouTube tech scene, got his hands on a new PS5 and made a video tearing it down alongside the original PS5. In the video, he finds that the saving in weight came almost entirely from a redesign of the heat sink, which is what cools the consoles, APU. Sony changed the materials from copper to aluminum and reduced the overall size by quite a bit. Now, this is where the controversy begins. Austin Evans measured the exhaust heat on both units, and noticed that the new playstation 5 was putting out 5 centigrade more than the old one many people took to the comments to argue about this uh, they argued that evans testing methodology isn't right because the high output heat could not just mean that the console is better at shifting the heat out of the machine austin evans though took this five degree difference to mean that the new PS5 is objectively worse than the original model, which is I think also a pretty bold claim to do because I think people are right. Testing just the exhaust heat is very, very vague. It's a lax testing method and hardly conclusive and not enough I think to call the new revision worse. That's what he does. But there have now been some proper rebuttals A small YouTube channel by the name Hardware Busters made a video comparing the original PS5 to the new version. He makes a couple of important notes. Exactly the same model of fan in both units. And the original PS5 is his and has thus been used. And that can make some differences. He took a bunch of readings and what he found are. The fan speeds on both the new and old consoles are nearly identical when idling. And they're nearly identical when gaming. He found the new PlayStation 5 to be a decibel louder. And at this point, Hardware Busters asserts that the reason for this is likely because of the smaller heatsink being less restrictive on airflow. With the airflow being blocked less, the noise is a bit louder. He also found power consumption to be nearly identical, only a few watts difference between the two consoles, and that can simply just be due to parts. Everything's got tolerances, and what you'll find in every console is, you know, one console will produce slightly more power, one will use slightly less power, uh, one will ramp up its APU a little bit more than the other one can and so on and so on these are basic tolerances within the designs so hardware busters then got to the temperatures saying they put on devil may cry 5 and left it on a reasonably stressful scene for 30 minutes on both machines that scene was making the console draw around 215 watts so reasonably stressful what he measured on the original play ps5 the APU which is the processor and the graphics measured 51.1 celsius The new PlayStation 5? 48 Celsius, that's a difference of 3.1 Celsius. Cooler. Memory on the old PS5 was 40.88 Celsius, while the new one was 48.2. Quite a rise in temperature on the memory, but generally speaking, temperatures on the memory don't affect too much. As for the exhaust heat, he found that the old PlayStation 5 was exhausting 39.85, while the new one was exhausting 42.11 Celsius. Roughly lining up with what Austin Evans measured. Hardware busters did note something important here, which I completely agree with. They would rather have five old consoles and five new ones to get a proper look at everything. Kudos to bringing this up. When you're doing this sort of testing, you want as many data points as you can realistically get. And that would include having multiple of each console so you could get an average between them all. Now, there might be some other differences here to consider. For example, Thermal Paste. The old PS5's pace has been bedded in and may not be as effective as it was, although generally this early into pace lifespan I would expect it to be at its most effective, but it's still something to consider. Now, as for the exhaust temperatures, while Austin Evans claimed that this meant the whole thing was producing more heat and thus objectively worse, hardware busters are asserting it's an indication of the machine doing a better job at cooling, shoving all that heat out of the exhaust and thus keeping the internals cooler. But the whole thing didn't end there. Uh, Hardware Busters made a second video to get more information. They installed 12 sensors on different areas of the console in order to get a better read on various temperatures across the APU, the RAM, the SSD, the inputs, the outputs, you name it. This time they played Devil May Cry 5 for an hour with ray tracing on before noting the temperatures. They also used that excellent breakdown by Gamer Nexus of the original PS5 as a main point of comparison, including installing all their sensors in approximately the same spots that Gamer Nexus did. So, they record, Hardware Busters recorded seventy point two five centigrade on the APU. Gamer Nexus originally recorded seventy three point five. So again, we're seeing that the new PlayStation 5 seems to be running cooler on the APU slash CPU slash graphics, whatever you want to call it. So once again, we see hardware busters recording cooler temperatures on the APU. Also worth bearing in mind that the ambient temperature for hardware busters was 27.9 Celsius, where Gamers Nexus was 21.9. In other words, it it was quite a bit hotter where hardware busters are. So it's even more impressive that the new PlayStation 5 seems to be running cooler. Well, it's also worth keeping in mind Game Nexus was using a PlayStation 5 that hadn't received much in the way of updates, which may or may not have tinkered with the fan settings, clock speeds and all that stuff. So what I've mentioned before that they were going to be releasing updates to just fan speeds and stuff like that as they got real world numbers coming in. So let's wrap all this up. In my opinion, and this is just mine, but I think the testing methodology used by hardware busters is much more robust than Austin Evans. And provides vastly more information and data to go on. When I look at these numbers, I don't have a choice to conclude that hardware busters are offering more accurate data and are therefore correct in their assertion that the PS5 version, new version of the PS5, is actually better at cooling the APU than the original PS5. It seems that despite reducing the overall size of a heatsink, it's actually better at pushing that heat out of the console. And that could just be because the reduced size means there's a nice clear area for the fan to really work in, whereas there wasn't before. Either way, I just don't think the numbers are lying here. Uh, Hardware Busters seem to have done good work. Their testing methodology, methodology seems spot on. I couldn't really see anything they were doing particularly wrong, aside from again, not having like five of each version of the console, but that's not realistic right now. And comparatively, Austin Evans simply measuring exhaust temperatures is a very laxic daisical way of doing things, because that could mean, you know, that either A, yeah, the whole thing is running hotter, or B, it's just pushing that heat out better. Uh, I use my own PC as a point of comparison here. When i've been building pcs before i've checked out temperatures coming out of the exhausts and stuff and quite often you know it'll feel really hot coming out of the exhaust but that's because it's doing a good job of heating of cooling those internals and then getting rid of all that hot air which is what i want i want it outside of the case i don't want it in with the rest of the stuff so that should be the end of the controversy i think here austin evans hasn't responded with anything but i would like him to make a follow-up video and run more detailed tests as well just to see if hardware busters are correct after all hardware busters have gotten some really good views on their two videos but as a small youtube channel their reach is small and i would love austin evans to do a follow-up call out, you know give credit to hardware busters do the tests and that way if it turns out hardware busters were right he can hold up his hands and go hey i was wrong i jumped to a conclusion hardware busters congratulations and that way hardware busters will get some good views and pr of it and it helps for a little channel and make austin evans look even better because it makes him you know look a bit more humble accepting any responsibility and if it turns out he's right then obviously you can go hey i was right you guys didn't believe me but look all right on to the next bit of news sony have welcomed another studio to the sony family just a day before their playstation showcase sony announced that they have acquired fire sprite bringing them up to i believe. 14 or 15 studios now now fire sprite was founded in 2012 they've worked with sony several times now on projects like the playroom the playroom vr and the persistence compared to some of sony's prior acquisitions fire sprite doesn't quite have the same level of pizzazz but they have 250 employees that's bigger than both of sony's other two uk-based developers combined I'm actually quite curious about how Fire Sprite is so big despite them not having any big huge hits. How the hell did they get the 250 employees? How are they managing to afford to pay all those people when barely anyone's even heard of them? I don't want to disrespect Fire Sprite though because they are notable here for being formed by people from Sony's well-respected Liverpool studio that was sadly shut down in 2012. Liverpool Studio created Wipeout, and I believe were previously known as Cygnosis or had people from Cygnosis who helped found the studio. It's a little weird to think actually that these same people who were shut down by Sony so long ago are now owned again by Sony nine years later. Bit of a weird one that. Anyway, Firesprite don't have a particularly impressive resume in my very limited opinion, but now with the resources of Sony behind them, who knows what we could get. From them. Well, according to Firesprite, they're going to be working on genres outside of what the rest of the Sony studios are currently doing. And over in an interview on Game Industry Biz, it was revealed that Firesprite are creating a new multiplayer shooter as well as a new single player game. That ties in with the fact that Firesprite are actually currently advertising for a senior designer to help out on a multiplayer shooter that they claim is currently in the later stages of production. I think this is really great because Sony have a bit of a gap in their first-party lineup. They have heaps and heaps and heaps of third-party adventure games. Uh, Sorry, they have heaps and heaps and heaps of third-person adventure games. But they don't really have any shooters and they especially don't have any multiplayer shooters. So I think there's a really big gap there Fire Sprite could fill. And also, I would be surprised if Fire Sprite aren't going to be working on some VR titles. Uh, we know PSVR 2 is coming, we know Sony want to put a good chunk of money into that, and Firesprite have done plenty of VR work in the past, so it makes sense. This acquisition, though, does bring up something that happened a while back, which was that when Sony announced they had bought Housemark as well as Nixus earlier this year, at the same time, the Sony Japan Twitter accidentally tweeted an image welcoming blue point to the family the image was quickly de- quickly deleted and no mention has ever been made of it but it was a bespoke image and thus very unlikely to have somehow been made by accident which of course meant people were thinking well blue point must have been bought by sony but sony just haven't announced it so have they bought blue point uh, i thought if they had they might announce it at the showcase but that didn't happen either as we'll get to later Alright, more Sony news here. Uh, we're getting a free upgrade path for Horizon Forbidden West when it comes out. So, this this story kicked off with a little bit more controversy. Isn't that always fun to talk about? Sony managed to get himself some NAF PR earlier this week by revealing no less than six different versions of Horizon Forbidden West that you can pre-order with statues and all that crap. That's already a bit absurd, but the bit that actually pissed people off is that only the two most expensive versions were going to include both the PS4 and PS5 versions of the game. Something which Sony referred to as Jewel Entitlement. What a what a stupid thing to call it. Jewel entitlement. God, that sounds bad. Anyway, in other words, if you bought the PlayStation 4 version, perhaps because you couldn't find a PS5 yet, and later wanted to upgrade to the PS5 version, you couldn't you'd have to go and buy the PS5 version of the game. People were understandably pissed, especially because Sony themselves had previously mentioned they would be offering free upgrades for their launch window games, citing Horizon Forbidden West specifically when they sent it. In September of 2020, Jim Ryan said, when speaking about Miles Morales and Horizon, QUOTE, the PS5 versions of those games are built from the ground up to take advantage of the PS5 feature set, and we have an upgrade path for PS4 users to get the PS5 version for free. It's all about how people having choice. I'm really pleased about the situation." End quote. So this announcement was a boneheaded move from Sony, that seemed to have be been made purely to bank a bit of extra cash, while they were also hoping that we had forgotten what they had previously said. It seems they've realized this was a dumb move to do though, because now they've backed down, they've twisted around doing an impressive 180-degree backflip and gone the other way. In a post, Sony said, quote, It's abundantly clear that the offerings we confirmed in our pre-order kickoff missed the mark. End quote, that's one way of putting it, yes. And then they said that PS4 players of Horizon Forbidden West will get a free upgrade to the PS5 version. Why did this happen? Well, according to the same Sony post, their talk about games getting free upgrades was referring specifically to, quote, launch games, unquote, and the pandemic pushed Forbidden West out of that arbitrary launch window. How long exactly was that magical launch window? No bloody clue. They've never told us. It could have been the first month, the first six months, the first year. Launch window is an undefined concept. But so far, that launch window hasn't exactly contained a lot of games Sony also then went on to say that future games, such as the next God of War, will have a $10 upgrade option if you buy the PS4. Keep in mind that Sony's smart delivery system means that when you buy one of their games, you simply get whatever version of the game you need for the console you own. Have an Xbox Series X? That's the version of the game you'll get. It's a much simpler, smoother system. Oh, and hilariously... They've not adjusted prices, so right now, the pre-order price for the PS4 version of Horizon Forbidden West is actually $10 less than the PS5 version. So even if you do have a PS5, just go order the PS4 edition and save yourself some extra cash. Talk about a clusterfuck, yeah. This whole thing was such a dumb move by Sony's PR. Either they completely forgot that they said you'd get a free upgrade, or they're hoping we would forget it, I don't know. But this just seems like a really cheap way of trying to get some extra cash up the whole thing, and calling it dual entitlement makes it sound like you're dunking on everyone. I honestly don't see how they made this mistake. (sighs) Man, sometimes you just want to yell at somebody. Jeez. Anyway, let's get on to some happy PlayStation news because the PlayStation Showcase happened this week and I want to give it to Mr. Matty Plays on YouTube. I want to give him all the credit in the world for this. Seven months ago, this absolute legend of a dude put out a video saying that Aspire would be doing a remake of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. He pieced together the evidence and over the intervening time, he has remained firm in his assertion that this was going to happen. The fucker was right. Aspire are officially making a Knights of the Old Republic remake for PlayStation 5 and I am excited. Right, so we didn't get any gameplay or anything else, but I am still tingling. All we got was a very short CGI teaser. But these games are nothing short of fantastic, telling engaging, awesome Star Wars stories. I've maintained hope that we'd get to see them remade or remastered finally happening. Ooh! It's going to be a timed PS5 exclusive before coming to PC. That's really surprising because the series actually began life on Xbox and then moved on to PC as well. Now it's gone the opposite way, jumped fully over to the Sony machine and then we'll be moving to PC. Yeah, I'm just, I'm excited for this. I'm really looking forward to this. We don't know anything else about it, but uh, oh, I want to play these games again. Uh, we've heard previous rumors as well that these are going to be sort of the remake was gonna be an amalgamation of the two games rather than like just a remake of the first so that could be interesting yeah whatever whatever happens i'm i'm very very hyped to see this uh mr matty plays sir you were correct well done you get a slow clap you know what actually you can have a fast clap you did good next up insomniac Once again, reminded everyone that they are the MVPs in Sony's arsenal right now, showing off not one, but two new games. The first one, well, that's a little old thing called Marvel Spider-Man 2 coming in 2023. Uh, What we mostly got was OG Spider-Man and Noob Spidey, aka Miles Morales, teaming up, indicating that we're either going to be swapping between the two or that they're hinting at co-op, which could be very interesting. Peter Parker was showing rocking an iron spider-style suit now, probably because he has to keep up with Miles Morales, who just has awesome extra powers that Pete doesn't get. And Pete needs to keep up, man, so technology for the win. The big news, though, of this trailer was that everybody's favourite mass-murdering symbiote Venom was shown at the end. Meanwhile, the voiceover in the trailer speaks about looking for an equal, someone that could surprise me. The voice also sounds Russian. Now the accent and the dialogue here make me think that this could actually be Kraven the Hunter. Uh, for non-fans of Spidey, Kraven is usually portrayed as a big game hunter who wants to kill Spider-Man to prove he is the ultimate hunter. He views Spidey as like the, the perfect prey to hunt. He could prove to be a really cool villain if they handle it right. And could even be sort of an anti-hero if it turns out he's maybe hunting Venom and then sort of stumbles across Spider-Man or whatever. You could go a few interesting ways with it. Whatever, if it is Craven, if I'm right, which, you know, I could easily, easily be wrong on this one. This is just, I guess, uh, as someone who knows Spider Man's Rogue's Gallery. I just thought Craven. But uh, if I am right, I think it could be really cool to see Craven. We don't get to see him that often. I'm trying to remember did we see him in Ultimate Spider Man, which was a great game in his own right? I think. I can't remember if we saw him in that. Or am I confusing that with the Ultimate Spider Man comics, where he very much was in that? Uh, in those comics he was actually portrayed as like a reality tv star uh, it was quite a funny portrayal actually i quite like that anyway uh, back to back to the proper story here insomniac also showed off a very very quick look at another game the CG trailer showed a man in a checkered shirt and hat sitting at a bar sipping a drink behind him are the bodies the aftermath of a fight a lone attacker draws a knife and walks towards the man and out from the mystery man's knuckles pop three adamantium claws yes it is freaking wolverine insomniac are making a wolverine game and i'm fucking excited people Uh, no release date was even hinted at but insomniac are on fire right now and if wolverine is even half as good as their spider-man games then we're in for a good time although i did have a passing thought here which was, um, do you guys think Naughty Dog might have been a a good choice for a gritty, 18-rated, gory Wolverine game that takes inspiration from uh, Logan? The standalone Wolverine movie that was so fantastic. I think Naughty Dog could really suit that style of game, actually. Like the the aging, lone, gunman-style Wolverine. The dying breed Wolverine. That could be really cool. As for Insomniac... How freaking big are they at this point? I mean, we've already had two titles from them since the PlayStation 5 launched. And now they're announcing that they're working on two more. And yeah, Spider-Man is not due till 2023 and we don't know when Wolverine. But that's quite a lot of stuff, man. And it wouldn't surprise me if they had a VR title in the works too. Because they've done plenty of VR work before. And it wouldn't surprise me if Sony wouldn't have a big name studio working on a title for launch. So, Insomniac at this point must be huge, their headcount must be massive, I'd love to know. The other big news from the show is that we got our first look at, boy, the simulator. Yep, it's God of War Ragnarok, the world's grumpiest dad is back and ready to kick ass yet again. We got a pretty solid, I think it was three minutes of God of War Ragnarok food showing off a mixture of cutscenes and actual gameplay. Uh, the main thing here to know is that Kratos still looks like someone pooped in his breakfast cereal. One day that man will smile and the world will just split in half. Unsurprisingly, this Luke Awesome and Thor's in it. Asking if Kratos is a calm and reasonable person. Which is like asking Hitler if he's a rational and easygoing sort of chap. I'm not gonna lie, I was a tad underwhelmed. And I don't mean that in the sense that I think this is going to be a bad game. It's just... It's very much looks like the first God of War, which isn't a bad thing. It's just it, you kind of look at it and you feel like, oh, yeah, this this could have actually just been one really big expansion, if you know what I mean. You look at it, and you're like, hmm, OK, I, I don't know how to explain it. I just I didn't quite feel as excited by it as I thought I would, even though I know I'm going to love it, even though it looks great. It's just sort of like, oh, yeah, that, that's pretty much what I expected. She was more God of War. And uh, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. I'm not as excited as I thought I would be. Uh, But it's still going to be a great game. Although at no point did Kratos yell, BOY, in his awesome deep voice. So 0 out of 10 will not die. The Uncharted series popped up. Specifically, Uncharted 4 and The Lost Legacy are both getting remastered. So Naughty Dog got a little moment to shine in this whole showcase. Revealing Uncharted Thieves Legacy. Which brings together remastered versions of Uncharted 4 and Uncharted. Uncharted, the lost legacy these will be coming to playstation 5 in early 2022 with a ps4 version to follow but the big news is it will be coming to pc as well this is going to be the first time uncharted has been on pc although of course this can be a bit weird having the fourth game and a spin-off be the first games arriving on pc i'm a little bit surprised they didn't announce a port of the 2015 remaster of the original trilogy Uh, That would have made sense, I think. Maybe they'll announce that sometime down the line. I wouldn't be surprised, because I just don't see the point of putting the fourth game in a spin-off on PC without having the first three games there. And the first three games have already been remastered, so they should hopefully be able to port that over with relative ease, because I believe they're running on the Unreal Engine, so Unreal tends to port over to PC pretty well, unless they're planning on doing big, big remasters of those games as well. Uh, Although... I don't know if you'd want to do a remaster of a game that's already been remastered. Even though it was rumored that's what they were going to do with uh, Days Gone, but but what do I know. Anyway, this remaster is exactly what you'd expect. It's sharper visuals, better frame rate. It's hard to tell on the heavily compressed YouTube videos, but I can't say the remaster looks heaps better than the originals. Uh, it looks better, just not massively better. Hopefully this won't be a £70 full release, uh, personally I reckon £30-£40 would be the right price point for something like this, especially if you're launching it onto PC, uh, these are old games after all, and uh, they're not complete remakes, so I think you know 30 to 40 pounds would be spot on. Either way, I'm really excited that PC owners are going to get to check out Uncharted, I have almost zero Uncharted experience, so this might be a good excuse for me to jump in as well and check them out. Next thing to talk about, Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. I'm actually reasonably hyped for this one. It's because I'm a sucker for Borderlands. I love me some guns. And I'm a sucker for fantasy as well. That's my favorite boot genre, actually. So, you know, you take Borderlands, you smoosh it with fantasy. And, yeah, I'm interested. So, this game features the mentally unstable child from the main Borderlands games, hosting a crazy D&D session, which is why Gearbox is getting to mix fantasy with guns and land sharks. Apparently, that's a thing. Uh, The gameplay wasn't anything new. It looks like Borderlands, but with wizards and crap thrown in. Magic, stuff like that. I'm okay with that. Um, I already like the core Borderlands gameplay. I do think that if there is a problem, something that's uh, making me a little bit doubtful, it's Tiny Tina. She gets annoying fast in the main game. She's great in the small doses you get her in. She's quite funny. But any more than that, I think she could scrape nerves. Uh, That's what I'm worried about. A whole game where she's probably going to be narrating a lot of the stuff... I just don't know if that's going to do it for me. And the trailer, I didn't find it very funny. So I'm mostly in this for the gameplay right now. But I do want to make special mention of the fact that he used Baby Metal's Gimme Chocolate for the background music. That was epic. If you don't know who Baby Metal are, they are a Japanese or is it Chinese heavy metal band. Uh, Sort of heavy metal mixed with pop. It's, It's impossible to describe. Go check out Baby Metal on YouTube. It's amazing stuff. It really is. Uh, this is going to land on March 25th, 2022, for current and last gen Xboxes and PlayStations, and on the Epic Store for PC. All right, next up it's Alan Wake Remastered. We got a brief look at this, which was announced just the other day. The remaster looks fine, nothing spectacular, just solid. I seem to be saying that kind of thing a lot right now, but uh, it's true, you know, it looks like a remaster, it looked better than the original, but it isn't going to blow you away. But anyway, Alan Wake is coming back in remastered form this autumn on PC via the Epic Game Store, PlayStation 4, PS5, Xbox One, and Xbox Series S and X. And the package will include all the DLC. This is actually going to mark the first time Alan Wake has appeared on PlayStation. Previously, the Alan Wake IP was held by Microsoft, and thus the game was exclusive to their platforms. But a few years back, Remedy got the rights back, and they can publish it wherever they please. Speaking of which, Alan Wake was actually previously on Game Pass, and I had planned on featuring it on a Best of Xbox Game Pass, but it was taken off the service. Perhaps the deal simply ran out, or perhaps Remedy didn't bother renewing it since they were planning a remaster anyway. And you don't want to be selling a remaster if you can just get the game on Game Pass anyway. Naturally, this has all sparked some hope for a sequel. Rumors of an Alan Wake 2 have existed for donkeys, and then back in 2020, Remedy announced they had made a deal with Epic to fund two big projects, one AAA big game already in pre-production and another smaller game in the same universe. A remaster and a sequel would certainly fit the bill of a smaller project in the same universe and a big AAA game. Indeed, at the time of Wolf's news, industry insider Jeff Grubb, who tends to be quite reliable, said that he'd heard one of the projects was Alan Wake 2. And of course, Remedy also reintroduced the character of Alan Wake in DLC for the awesome Control, linking both of those get games together canonically. That's right, Alan Wake and Control now all exist within the same universe. This is really exciting stuff. Alan Wake was never a huge franchise, but it did earn itself a solid fan base, and, and I think an unsung hero of the Xbox 360 era and Remedy stars on the rise so it'd be a really great time to bring back Alan Wake in proper form Uh, I think all the writing is on the wall for this one the reintroduced character in Control the deal with Epic the remaster to me this is all just setting the stage for an Alan Wake 2 I can't wait and I'm really eager to check out the remaster as well On to Guardians of the Galaxy. This two and a half minute trailer was a lot better than what we got previously. Hasn't erased all my doubts, but now I'm just the teensiest bit interested in Guardians of the Galaxy, which is due out in October. They really seem to be leaning into the wackiness featuring Psycho Space Cults, Cosmo the Space Dog, World Mind and Giant Space Species, and the voice acting surprised me too. But I'm not sold on the humour. That was a little bit more hit and miss throughout the trailer. And I'm still not quite sure it's just only getting to play as Star-Lord and like having to dish out orders to everyone else. Uh, I think this is a game I'm I'm just not going to know how I feel about it until I get hands-on with it and really get to play it and see what it's like. It looks like it could be fun, but it's still sitting in that awkward place where it's looking like it's inspired by the movies, but not actually based on the movies and not using the likenesses it's like that meme you know it's like mom can we get guardians of the galaxy and the mom's like no we have guardians of the galaxy at home and this is what it is something that looks sort of like guardians of the galaxies you know it but also not it's the same problem uh, marvel's the avengers game had where it sort of looked like it was chinese knockoffs of the avengers it was really weird but this could be good uh, fingers crossed eh we got some gran turismo action as well announced is coming out in march of 2022 the boffins at polyphony digital are coming back we haven't seen anything from these guys since 2017 and by the time gt7 actually comes out it's gonna be five years since polyphony have graced our consoles and in that time there'll have been three forza games jeez christ um not much to say here The game looks absolutely beautiful. We did get some glimpses of car customization and extensive photo mode and a heap of cars. Uh, The thing about sim games though is it's all about the handling and the feeling and the physics and none of that can really be conveyed through a trailer. So yeah, it's really hard to say anything about this one. I'm really hoping we get some VR support too though, because with Sony pushing PSVR 2, that to me just seems logical. These days, You know, sim racing games without VR support, yeah, VR is still a niche, but think it's still the thing to do and I think it would help Sony push VR even more because you can still enjoy VR racing games just with a controller as well especially because it's a PS5 controller is going to be using its haptic feedback and adaptive triggers and all that fancy MacGuffins and I would love to check it out in VR above all else it's just good to see Gran Turismo coming back even if we have to wait a little while for it yet and god knows I could do with some proper competition Project Eve this one's a korean action game set in a post-apocalyptic world it looks like a mix of bayonetta near devil may cry and a platinum game the combat looks really solid but here what caught my eye was the art style Uh, especially we got the scene where it zooms out of a space station and on the space station holding it is this massive alien eye monster that was gripping the space station Oh, it looked really cool such an awesome visual uh, the story was very Korean. <laughs> it was really barmy there's lots of weird words and I'm not exactly sure what the hell is going on looks fun though uh, I'm, I'm quite eager to check this one out I can't say anything about it, it made me hugely excited but enough there that I'm intrigued I want to check it out I want to play it so keep an eye on that one project Eve Next up was Forsaken. This again looks quite cool. Yeah, Plia is a teenage girl who gets transported to a fantasy-style realm where she discovers she now has magic powers, including trapping enemies in balls of water, dashing through the air, and that kind of stuff. The open world looks like it's going to be pretty big, and I really like the fast traversal style. the, the, The traversal style and the combat could just make this one of those fun open world games to mess about in. Uh, The trailer kept this sort of light-hearted fantasy vibe that I quite liked. uh, And some really good voice acting. The only thing I'm not sure about yet is the type of dialogue is that sort of typical modern, snappy, corny style where, you know, you've got these whip-smart teenagers who are always making sarcastic remarks and who aren't really excited by things like, oh, yeah, cool. That could juxtapose nicely with the fantasy world, but on the other hand, it could just come off as very run-of-the-mill cliche you know that Juno style writing which is fun it can be fun in the right game it's just it gets heavily overused right now in like teenage style movies and stuff like that you know what I'm talking about where they they always seem to have a whip smart fun answer to everything you know and things like that which uh doesn't tend to be very realistic frankly most teenagers I've met can't string a sentence together but you know I was the same when I was a teenager But yeah, I think this looks fun that the modern teenager slammed into a fantasy world. That's classic funny stuff. And I really like the trailer actually ended with the alleged big bad of the game just kicking our leading characters ass in a fight. That was cool. This one's due out in spring 2022 and I'm going to be keeping my eye on it. I don't think it's going to be anything special necessarily, but I think it could be a very fun mid-tier sort of game, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. On to the next game, we got a very brief look at Rainbow Six Extraction. Hey, look, it's Rainbow Six Siege with aliens. I could not care less about this. The trailer was dull. And Tom Clancy is revolving in his grave so fast right now they could hook him up to some batteries and power a freaking city. Nothing using the Tom Clancy name should have aliens in it. All right, I'm sorry. Just no, stop using the Tom Clancy name. For Christ's sake, just stop, Ubisoft grand theft auto 5 appeared (laughs) i don't know why but it's just very strange to be saying grand theft auto 5 appeared in a showcase in 2021 Uh, this was showing off the next gen upgrade for gta 5 and well it's gta 5 but with slightly better graphics the visual overhaul doesn't look very substantial to be honest The trailer promised some vague gameplay enhancements. But outside of faster character swapping due to the the SSD. It didn't provide any idea of what those gameplay enhancements are going to be. But they did reveal that it's been delayed uh, from November this year to March 2022. And at the time of writing this. The trailer on YouTube has 20,000 likes to 57,000 dislikes. Uh, the main complaint seem to be that it doesn't look like much of an improvement and that people would rather they worked on a new GTA instead. To their credit, it is a little hard to believe now that GTA 5 was launched back in 2013 on the Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3. It has now gone through three entire console generations, but still continues to sell insane amounts and gta online makes a fortune for rockstar so really rockstar aren't in a rush to make a new gta why would they be they're making a fortune off this um a lot of the commenters got it right here if we want a new grand theft auto we need to stop buying grand theft auto 5 and give them a reason to make a new one moving on ghostwire tokyo it feels absolutely weird to say this But Microsoft-owned Bethesda Studios showed off two games at the PlayStation Showcase, both of which are timed exclusives. The first of those was Ghostwire Tokyo, a game that's difficult to explain. Uh, This is a first-person action horror game set in a modern city besieged by all manner of creepy creatures. It's bloody bonkers, basically. Uh, Also, the lead character wears a fanny pack across his chest. Not sure how I feel about that. Uh, This one doesn't hit until Spring 2022, but it looks pretty wicked. I am eager to see this one. The other Microsoft-owned Bethesda game that's currently exclusive to PlayStation was Deathloop. I'm not going to talk about this one because it's literally out now. Go check out the reviews for what it is. Uh, I do think they've oversaturated this game with the amount of stuff they have showed off. I don't think it really needed to be shown at the the PlayStation Showcase, but I'm guessing they're just wanting to remind everyone, hey, we have... A Bethesda exclusive game for a year, even though Bethesda is now owned by Microsoft. So Xbox owners, you don't get to play this until next year. Ah, <laughs> uh, jeez. All right, the next game was Tichia or Chia. I'm not quite sure how you pronounce this, but this is inspired by New Caledonia, and this game has a ridiculously charming graphical style and trailer. Bright. It's bold. It's colorful. It's cute. Uh, And the main gameplay idea here is that you can inhabit the body of any animal you find. A bit like Mario could do with his magical hat in Super Mario Odyssey. God, video games are weird, aren't they? It's not until you say a sentence like that that you think, what what the hell are these things doing? Uh, The trailer showed off possessing dogs, crabs, birds, turtles, and so on. The description also mentions being able to take control of items as well. That could be cool. I think this was the hidden gem of the entire show. Uh, a big open world, which they're describing as a sandbox, a fascinating set of gameplay mechanics, really gorgeous visuals, that awesome style. Also, the use of Kanak, and I don't know if i pronounce pronouncing that, choirs and musicians for the tr- soundtrack was awesome. It's just gonna be cool to see something inspired by New Caledonia, because that's not something we normally get to see. Uh, they're gonna bring in, I'm sure, so many elements of the culture there and the mythology there. Uh, It just looked like a fun game to play. You know, cute, fun, interesting. It's not out until uh, 2022 though for the PS4, the PS5 and the PC. But I'm looking forward to this one. I think this could be a real sleeper hit. Speaking of potential sleeper hits, Vampire the Masquerade Blood Hunt, which is already in early access on PC, but it's hitting consoles later this year. Don't get this confused with... Vampire The Masquerade Bloodlines 2, which is a single player RPG. This one, Vampire The Masquerade Bloodhunt is a free to play battle royale style game, but with vampires. Now normally I wouldn't look twice at a battle royale game, but in this case the dark gruesome setting, the Vampire The Masquerade license, uh, the supernatural elements, has got me intrigued. In a world of brightly coloured battle royales, this looks a little bit different. And it's free to play, so there's nothing to lose by checking this one out. I might go check out the PC Early Access version, see what people are saying about it. Uh, I'm quite willing to give this a shot. I've always liked that sort of modern-day vampire style, such as, uh, you know, kind of in the realms of the Underworld movies, as corny as they were. I like that sort of idea of vampires existing in a modern world. so. So aesthetically, and from the concept, Blood Hunt has got my attention. It could be quite cool. I don't think it's ever going to get big enough to compete with the big boys, and it's certainly entering a very, very crowded market, but it could scoop out its own little corner over there somewhere and be enough to just chug by and earn the developers some money. We shall see. And that was pretty much the showcase bar. I think one game I'm missing out, uh, which was a weird sort of, I think, uh, collaborational thing between Radiohead and um, Epic Games or something. Uh, i've really got nothing to say about it so i I just avoided that one so let's do a bit of a wrap up here um overall i thought the showcase was solid it was good there was a couple of big hitters there were some nice smaller games there was a few that could be hidden gems uh a lot of what was shown though isn't arriving until next year which leaves this year looking a little dry that's not sony's fault we already knew the pandemic could hit game development hard Pushing a lot of games at their planned release windows into later years, we we knew we weren't really going to see the proper impact until you know this year and the next year. Yeah, it does mean that twenty twenty one looks a little bit quiet, especially for like PS five users who are you know undoubtedly hoping for some more exclusives to play. It does mean though that twenty twenty two should be a stacked year. So uh, start putting that money away now, and it's a good excuse to work through the backlog, right? I mean, I've got a pile of games sitting there I could really do with going back and playing before 2022 hits and there's just games up the wazoo. So yeah, I think the showcase was fine. It was uh, a very trim 40 minutes, which I appreciated. You know, we, we didn't have to sit there for like an hour, an hour and a half watching stuff. It was just bam, 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 bam really no downtime just good stuff and then it was over and i'm happy with that that's perfectly fine for me so with that said and done i think we shall wrap this podcast up we have gone for oh my god uh, as i'm as i'm talking to you we've gone an hour and 18 which is by far the longest podcast i've ever done so even by the time i edit a bunch of stuff out this is going to be a lengthy podcast and far much far too much time to be listening to my dumbass voice so let's get this wrapped up, people. Thank you for joining me this week. If you want to go support the site or the podcast, go visit www.wolfsgamingblog.com. And there you can hit the button that says support the site and you can opt to chuck some money my way, either as a one off, or weekly, or monthly, or even yearly, whatever floats your boat. Money like that is not used to just buy blackjack and hookers, although sometimes. It's mostly used to get in games I can't get in for a review to pay site fees and stuff like that. I don't do this as a professional job. So anything you guys decide to throw my way to help support the work is very much appreciated. Apart from that, I will see you guys on the next episode whenever that happens. And you can, of course, check out the website for more reviews coming up of a bunch of whole different game for a bunch. And of course, you guys can check out the website for more awesome written reviews. I have been Bane Ronnie, this has been the Wolves Gaming Podcast, and I will see you next time.